straightening out my... Oh. All right, all right, all right, all right. Just get my drink. All right. Let's get this show on the road, people. Let's get this show on the road. Right, so, one momento, just gonna be opening this up, I'll wait for a few people to just log on, I'll share it from here, is that, alright, we is live. Almost done. And folks. Okay, is that shared? It is indeed. Alright. Inna <laughs> ومن بهداهم اعتدى وبآثار أهل المدينة اقتفى وبعد فسلام الله على القوم أهلا وسهلا بكم ومرحبا وانين لايتس بينبنيدوس أتودوس بيبل بينبنيدوس أتودوس بخير راغلة خشام ديد and سواقتم سواقتم right so ¿Qué está pasando, mi gente? ¿Qué está pasando? What's going on, man? What's going on? Wasif, ahlan wa sahlan. Muhammad Faiz Rasul. Is that Mufti Saab? Allah, tasharraf, tasharraf. We've got Salam from Vancouver. Naveed saying, Lala Tiko. Bot, bariya, eh? Bot, bot, marbani. Right, Umar Ali. Right, what's going on, people? What's going on? How have you been? I'm good, I'm good. I'm just recuperating, resting, chilling. That's all it is, man. Just doing my own little research, getting on with things. Just trying to, those of you that have known, I have had a had a little fracture kind of thing and just waiting on that to heal. And so pretty much homebound, really, chilling out. Trying to catch up on all these TV series. Ah, <laughs> uh, well, what else is there to do, people, in this dunya? Ma, <laughs> you know, wa maza baad al haqi illa dalal. All right, salam from Philippines. Alam wa sahlan. All right, people, we is international, international. Right, we've made it global. Who is the global? <laughs> All right. Love the ear. Shukran, shukran. I also love the earring. <laughs> right, so what is going on, mi gente? Claire Jones, ahlan wa sahlan, bienvenidos. Right, so guys, now what will be some of what we'll be taking a look at today. Uh, 
there are obviously your questions that you're gonna that you've already posted and that you're posting live stream of course but um i will be discussing this ustad osama cannon issue what is going on what is the masala what is the <laughs> the mufti masala to put on the masala what is this whole controversy the scandal scan scandal man got to handle the scandal <laughs> right so we're going to handle the scandal a little later on um look at this somebody saying Fraudy Frabri <laughs> Hamri Jan is online. Oh, we've got Kazi Chad doing it, doing it. Kazi Imam Walid, Ahlam Sahlan. Right, people. So this this thing I'll be taking a look at. Uh, those of you tuning in, Rahizi, Riz, Ahlam Sahlan, click like, click share, people get this out there so i will be taking a look at this what are my thoughts on this scandal uh, obviously I, people already know me know me you know it's like my my views i i'm sure some of you have already guessed them there was a little back and forth twitter a twitter clash you know twitter clash with uh, a tiny twitter clash with um sana saeed g <laughs> the uh reporter <laughs> oh rather <laughs> right so uh and i and look me i speak my mind you know what i'm saying i will if i don't like something i will say as i feel it whether i'm right or wrong is a different issue but i'm not you know i'm not doing this to kind of appeal to a particular i don't know to toe a particular line or to do something like this i will say it as i believe it okay so what i believe to be the haq i will say it. so that's the so i did have that back and forth but i will be in line with that osama cannon controversy or the scandal i will be discussing things like accountability okay what does it mean to be accountable and the discussions with that because that's an a deep topic as well that you know what what does that mean and accountable to who and accountable what is all of that about and also this gender wars you know this gender war so people make love not war <laughs> this one this one not nice you know this the gender wars between the man and the and the woman you know this uh, there's this unnecessary sense of uh, you know kind of like a venom being pushed against and i do sense this you know uh, i mean as a man i sense as a man you know man i sense that there is a lot of anti man not everybody but there is unfortunately like this kind of man hating Mm, i don't know like this this uh, not just rhetoric but this um propaganda that is out there and i feel that this makes life difficult for everyone and it shouldn't really be that way so i would like to talk a bit about that and that's not by the way i'm not saying this all women are like they're not at all i mean um i feel that these women may actually even be a minority of women but who are very vocal 
And the problem is they can poison the minds of certain other um, people and, and not provide a solution, but just provide a problem. <laughs> you know, the tu kon me khamakha. You know, it's the, who, <laughs> that famous proverb that uh, who are you? I'm just, you know, like, don't worry about me. Um, because what how those of you that will recall last week when I did a summary of Jonathan Brown's take on slavery and i did mention this how you could break his gridlock and i spoke about what is um i used the ambiguous picture paradigm and i and i gave an example those of you that haven't seen that please do see do watch that it's i explain how slavery and and i i tackle the topic and i take the bull by the horns really because it's not true i disagree that jonathan brown said you couldn't really get out of this we're gridlocked but I broke the gridlock, you know. <laughs> I said, maybe. <laughs> you know, many people will come and they may be, it may be a dead end for them. <laughs> but I am not just anybody, you know. <laughs> What's that that dialogue of uh, Nana Padigarji <laughs> where, where the guy challenges him and he says, Bob Kobej. <laughs> <laughs> this is this is above you so the thing is that I, my point is that when i explain that that once certain things are brought into the psyche they can't be removed you can't unlearn them and i gave the example of uh, i had this kind of ambiguous figure and i showed it to you and i said well um when i showed you the trophy and and then I said, OK, now I took it away and I said, I'm going to sh tell you about this, about a different image in this. And once I explain it, not only will you see that image, you won't be able to unsee it. So I explained the, the face palm and the person doing this. Now, when I showed you the picture after that, you can only see the face palm. Now, this what I was calling the, uh, you know, this kind of this rise to consciousness that happens. Um, this uh, ambiguous picture effect. It's the same thing with mindsets out there. You know, when you, like people could be living a happy or reasonably content life, but you start telling them things like, you know, no, you're actually not fulfilling yourself. You know, you like, so for example, imagine there's this thing of like, let's say, let's say domestic chores. Now, in many societies, women may pride themselves on domestic chores. Um, that's actually in a huge part of the world. Now, because it's seen down in these societies for women to do domestic chores, it's kind of it's kind of like denigrated and seen as, oh my God, are you a slave or something? Now, once you plant that seed, that person is no longer content, who could have previously been happy just just going about their daily lives doing things you know they could have been like well no this is my house i'm happy to do this but now when you plant a seed they feel that oh well hmm, maybe i don't know like maybe i should be rebelling against this and and like this this is just a, a time this is an irrelevant example about domestic chores but about men for example in general Oh, men are like this. Men are all like this. Men are like this. Men are just misogynists. Men are just this. Men are just this. And then what happens is it leaves these poor women in 
in a in a mental situation a psychological state that is incapable it's very difficult to ever have a relationship with any man after that you see because once you change that mindset you become too conscientious and so i just feel that yeah but we'll come back to this kind of psychobabble later on people uh so and I, this is not to by the way when i say this stuff it's not to justify uh the wrong actions of men i'm not here to justify anybody's action men can deal with their own goddamn responsibilities it's not to in any way suggest that that's not what i'm doing okay so and when i come to that topic i'll be very clear about that okay so cool let's first of all uh <laughs> Claire John says what a, he's not touching my washing machine ever I love chores <laughs> right so what's going on people what's going on uh the Rasul sub says I've had a wider experience of work in different Sharia councils a non-muslim woman does job but she equally shares in expenditures but muslim woman does job and she does not share because she says that this is not her obligation you know it's true i'd like to and by the way people this is mufti uh, muhammad faiz rasul saab uh, an, an amazing enlightened venerated uh, senior scholar of the muslim um diaspora here in the uk i think unless i'm correct that mufti saab is usually between i i think bristol and the midlands birmingham and other places and he does he is involved in sharia councils and and generally in advising the community as well and so people who want to reach out to mufti saab please do he's you know he's he's very and he has that connect with the elder generation as well and the, and the younger so just want to say that so much love for tuning in mufti saab but i i want to add on this point that there is you know the reason i say this people i don't just you know this kind of thing i'm i'm putting out there i'm ha- i'm saying it because a lot of men are too scared of saying these things believe it or not and this is bad because we're in an age where people are like they're too that they feel that they can't even express their opinion without being called misogynistic or without being called names so they just bottle it in but what happens is that adds to the rage so it's good to have discussions it's good to voice concerns as a little plug in there <laughs> inshallah soon come i'm hoping by the end of this year my podcast to be up and running on difficult dialogues and crucial conversations people so it will be it's a more it's where i will be in dialogue with people they can't they don't have to be religious authorities they can be but other people as well on what are difficult kind of dialogues so they can be had because these dialogues need to be i believe they have to be kind of had out there like people have to we have to have them so um yeah so that's my um and i was going to say this because in and this is not just muslims by the way although i think muslims we are feeling this but even in the broader i feel this is not a religious specific thing in the broader society there's a lot of people that you know they 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 feel that the system everything is kind of not fair 
to to especially towards men now ironically because that's what you would think that no but this whole system is but this is what people feel i'm just i'm telling you why do you think people like i mean i think uh, jordan peterson is an amazing enlightened genius who's incredibly articulate uh, i love him but i i mean i'm just saying why do you think people like that have had such an immense following because they've just had the courage to say what a lot of men who are disenfranchised from society are feeling so they feel that and then he's labeled for this far right where really his views are very liberal he's not a, a far right person so but this is the um but these are things that need to be kind of said out there and so yeah i mean but i was just putting that out there and with the sharia councils thing you know it's true because i have had a lot of women sometimes contact me about <laughs> see if i just put a full stop there it'd be like huh what this scandal <laughs> you know it's to do with relationships coming to an end and and people will say that look you know my husband left me and it happens the other way as well women leave men as well it's not just the other way but i'm just giving you an example the husband leaves the wife and the wife will say look he gave me a talaq and left and and he may be an absolute i don't know what do you want to call him a jerk or whatever for doing that 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 and i would support that i'm not saying the person is 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 a good person he could be a horrible person now she says he can't just do that he can't this this is and you think well no like he can but it's a horrible thing I, I don't think he should do that but he should take his responsibility but if he does he does it's a free country let's say if a person says look i don't want to be in this relationship and he leaves even if he's doing it for selfish reasons but you know you can't force the person to stay so then they will say you see this is followed by the question okay so what are my rights like what rights does islam give me so i know exactly what people are asking here and i will say what do you mean by that what do you mean by rights so they'll say you know rights so i will say purposely to people oh well islam gives you the right to freedom of speech it gives you the right to freedom of movement it gives you the right to <laughs> people go no 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 i don't mean that <laughs> they'll be like nah, nah, <laughs> we know all of that <laughs> they say obviously i mean do I get the right? Well, I mean his money. I say, acha acha. To ye bolo, sarkar. Why don't you say money? Why don't you say he left me? How much of his money do I get to keep? But that sounds horrible to say that. So we sugarcoat it in nice words like rights. Zalim dunya, papi sansar. This is the thing. See, people, this world is nothing but dog eat dog at the end of the day. Everybody, you know, kuch nahi sivai musalsal fareeb hai. Dekha hai zindagi ko nihayat kareebs. It's nothing but a perpetuous deception. 
the poet says, I have seen this world up close and near. So this is my point that, look, everybody is out there for themselves. But I just feel anyway that what needed to be said. Let's move on to some of your questions. Well, I've had one question straight away about Milad that somebody has been asking me quite a bit. Uh, somebody said, if she has more money, do you get? Yeah, don't. Yeah, in the system, you would get money from either ways, although it's tilted in favor of the of the women. In, that is the British legal, the English legal system is tilted that way. But but I men usually don't say that generally speaking i've never come across i'm sure they they may take it or things i don't know i don't follow people's live stories but if a woman leaves a man men suffer with i mean all human beings suffer with rejection and men will suffer that way and they will suffer with the ego and they will suffer with uh issues of not being able to move on and they may sometimes act like idiots and get try to get violent or threatening or possessive and but that's the way that men that uh, the trend that you will see the pattern i i think it's absurd but that's the pattern you won't usually get a man saying oh she she decided to leave me okay how much money do i get that that, that usually i've ne i've never heard that but i have heard that on almost the major almost <laughs> the majority not all but the majority of cases that have come in front of me whenever it's from the women's side, that is usually the first response. After the fact that, no, he can't go, he needs to be forced. And when you say, well, you can't force someone, then they say, well, okay, what do I get out of it? Uh, and that's usually not the other way around with men. They don't usually, uh, whether they take it or not, God knows. But anyway, let's move on, people. We'll come back and touch up on this topic later on, right? After, when we get to the Osama Cannon issue, that happened to me. Oh, Anissa, may Allah make things easy for you. See, there you go. A man did exactly that to Anissa. Well, you see, this is the thing. Whoever does it, it's not. And this is why in many ways I feel that, you see, the Islamic viewpoint on separation was, is I feel, is more just than the system here. Because I feel that a relationship does not by default entitle a person to wealth. It entitles them to rights of being taken care of. Now, but once the relationship ends, this to me, it doesn't. Now, I would do accept arguments of where you contributed to something. That's a different argument. So, for example, a person contributed to a business, a person contributed to a household, a person. But by default, by doing nothing, you, I don't feel you have an in, like personally, I don't agree with the concept of just, you know, just a given entitlement by simply saying that okay you know we are now in a relationship i'm just entitled straight away i don't believe i personally don't believe that that holds merit it is part of the system here i know in america they have prenups and things like this but in the uk they don't so anyway we'll come back to that let's tackle some other topics people right so a few people have asked me about molid Right, I answered this last week. I'll go through it again very briefly. Look, people, Molid is a classical debate. It's not something new. Uh, it is premised and predicated on the concept of 
innovation or what is called a, a bid'ah in, in the Sharia, which means something that was introduced after much after the lifetime of the Prophet and his companions. The issue was that is there such thing as certain innovations that can still be good and embraced? This was the topic that of contention among scholars. Traditionally, there were certain schools of, of thought like the Medinan school, Imam Malik school and uh, Imam Ahmad ibn Hanbal, I believe himself. Um, and there were some other scholars who were of the position that all innovations are always bad. And other schools like the uh, Kufan schools, the school of Imam Abu Hanifa, Shafi'i and others, they kind of lean towards, no, if it's a good thing, it can still be good. So as an example, let's say the Prophet never taught you a particular particular type of dhikr, a remembrance to do. So he never, let's say he never did it himself, but he did tell you, you should do dhikr, you should remember God. Now, imagine you come up with a special kind of codified dhikr, like you say, well, OK, what I'm going to do is I'm going to get this verse and I'm going to read this verse every day religiously 45 times because I believe that 45 or let's say 63 times because I believe the prophet you know, lived up until the age of 63 and therefore... So you kind of contrive some meaning to this new ritual that you're doing. Now, but at the end of the day, you are just remembering Allah. You know, you're not like kind of remembering some pagan gods or something. You're remembering Allah fundamentally, but you've introduced a new ritual. Now, what... The Medinan school didn't really welcome this. Imam Malik didn't, and neither did his the early school for several for several centuries. Didn't really. Uh, the other schools did. They said it's okay because it's still a good thing. Like he's not doing any harm, and he's just you know just remembering Allah ultimately. So they accepted it. Now, based on that, the Maulid debate is a part of that. So, but what happened is much later on, so like about a thousand years after the Prophet, um, you see this school of saying that innovations are, are can be accepted so long as, you know, you're not doing harm. This school dominated the entire Muslim world then. Even the Maliki school and other schools all started to embrace that. And it was with the widespread of Tasawwuf and things like this that these views spread. So today, these views are the majority of the Muslim world, unquestionably. The only thing is with the rise of the Wahhabi Salafi movement, they kind of condemned these practices. And then, so you've got that voice. And then you've got the this dominant voice, which is that, oh, if good innovations are OK. So that's the debate to it. And so Mawlid just fits right in with that debate. I personally, to me, I stick with what Imam Malik taught. I don't personally um, go with innovations or new innovations That's as a person, but I don't condemn these people that do things like that i think at the end of the day you know they they're not doing any you know they, they're remembering the prophet and they're doing something good in that sense uh so i 
you know, I wouldn't condemn someone. I wouldn't criticize someone who is because somebody asked me, oh, I thought you don't accept this. So why, you know, why, why, why don't you criticize it? And I said, well, that doesn't mean I have to criticize it. I don't I don't do it. I, I'm, you know, it's not my kind of thing. I'm not inclined. I'm not convinced with the argument, but people want to do it. They're convinced by it. Let them do it. It's not a you know, it's not something to make to a, a deal out of or to become obsessed about or even to condemn. It's I don't believe you should be condemning people that practice Molith or anything like this. And likewise, people who are doing Molith shouldn't be condemning people who are not doing it. Because at the end of the day, you know, it, they have no right to do that either because it is an innovation in and of itself. So I feel, look, let people just do what they're comfortable with. Both have, there's many ulama that have argued for the legitimacy of Mawlid because they've said, and you know, like Subki, Suyuti and all these great, mainly Shafi'i scholars, but loads of them, uh, Ibn Hajar al-Haythami and all these other great scholars have argued for it. So just let it be. I'd, so that's my point. And if you if you're not comfortable in doing it, don't do it. You know, it's as simple as that. It's not confusing. Um, right. But yeah, I do disagree with. I've said this before. I do disagree with the whole parades. I don't like that, that kind of stuff. I don't like the whole, um, you know, the OTT over the top stuff. I don't like that. And I don't. Uh, People take out all this and, you know, they, they block traffic and they do these demonstration processions. And I don't see the point. What's what's the point of stuff like they bring all these massive cakes and they celebrate and they kind of like cut a cake. <laughs> I find it quite ludicrous, I'll be honest with you. And then now it's uh, it's got to a stage now where people it's a bit confusing because I don't like people start wishing each other. Like, by the way, it's in like happy molid to you. So. Somebody said that to me and I just said, well, OK, I, 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 for a moment, I thought, what's what's the response? <laughs> I said, you're happy molded to you as well. I was like, but I just feel that fine. I mean, I can see it merging as a new culture. That's all. But the processions and all that, I think, is a bit OTT. That's my take. I don't know. Right. So what is going on? Right. Did the Prophet wasallam set the order? of uh, of the surahs and the ayats okay let's take a look at that somebody said but don't lgbt have parades in every city um they are tolerated yeah i'm against i don't like those parades either i don't see the i i don't like like i don't see the thing about parading like if it's just blocking off streets and it's just basically trying to put something in other people's faces and i think just let people get on with their own life i mean it's different if the if people are doing it in a park you know like if you say well we're in a public we're in a park and we're going to be holding a fair there or we're going to do something or we're going to have a parade in a park which is not really disturbing anybody in that sense you know traffic carries on there's no there's you know nobody's inconvenienced and the lgbtq want to hold their thing there you know, somebody else wants to hold a parade there, the bloody, I don't know, somebody marching against something else wants to hold it there. People, they want to hold a, a molid parade and procession there. I just feel when you do this on the roads and you block traffic and you inconvenience people, that I feel I don't, I disagree with stuff like that. 
Dan Harden said, why do you answer the most dumbest of questions? <laughs> what can we do? Uh, let's question the chat show. How many people do not answer from mainstream Mulvies? I don't know what that means. Can we buy watches with gold in it? Robert Kelly. <laughs> yes, you may. I've got a I've got a video on YouTube. Watch it. Can men wear gold? Um, and it, or is gold haram for men? So I have answered that I am in line with that opinion of all those scholars and those Sahaba and so on who believed that gold was not haram for men, that the Prophet did condemn it. But it wasn't as a, it was just, it was a kind of um, a measure to do with his immediate culture and his immediate companions because of the kind of warrior lifestyle that they had. And some of the people were leaning in on uh, luxury and the prophet just, he, he, he kind of criticized it like that because in that society, Luxury was not what was seen as, you know, it was a very kind of warrior lifestyle. Uh, hence, in the hadith in Sahih Bukhari, the Prophet did the same thing about agriculture. You know, he 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 said a similar thing about agriculture. Like, as in, he said that, what, what is this? Why? Because the, the, the Arabs of that, especially of that part of, of Arabia, they lived a very kind of warrior lifestyle. They weren't agriculturalists. There were farmers amongst them, but they weren't farmers by by and large. So this is why it didn't mean that agriculture is haram or agriculture. Nobody should do farming. That would be ridiculous. But the prophet, when he said, oh, when he saw the agricultural tool in the person's house and he said, this does not come into anybody's house, except except being abased and dishonored and being denigrated will enter that house like meaning you know nobody gets this except they enter a state of you know like of uh, of being abased and dhul. but that wasn't a religious ruling so yeah so that's my perspective i have got that mm-hmm Zamzam is what for whatever it is drunken for. Is that a legit hadith? Zamzam lima shuribala. Allah, Allah, Allah. This, if my memory serves me correct, I read about 10 years ago <laughs> that I think Hafid al Dumyati said the hadith is sahih. <laughs> You think Mufti is no got memory? <laughs> I read that Hafid al-Dumiyati, he did tashih of that hadith. That al-zamzamu lima shuribala. That the hadith is, uh, that zamzam is for whatever it is drunk for. Now, I believe that these things have a kind of psychosomatic effect. And this, I, I accept that, look, Generally, it is considered because of its proximity to the Kaaba and it being a blessed place, it is understood to have this barakah. Although I am not so convinced of its origin story, uh, I'm not so convinced of the story that Zamzam, you know, and Ismail alayhi salam and that whole story like that. 
Um, Allahu alam. Maybe it's, maybe it did happen. Maybe it didn't. Um, I do feel as a person, and my research is that a lot of the there was a lot of Abrahamization, you know, to do with Ibrahim alayhi salam, that there was a lot of Abrahamization that took place as Islam expanded into the Northern Arabian territories. Okay, so as the because Islam was in the Hijaz, which is like because the Arabian dynast Arabian um, diaspora was you had Southern Arabia, which is like where Yemen and a bit of South uh, Saudi Arabia and places like that would be today. Then you had like this this region in the middle, which is where Hijaz and Mecca, Medina and and these kind of places and other places would be the, the middle kind of region. And then you had the northern kingdoms, which were really places like Sham and the Levant and places like Iraq and places like all of that was the northern Arabian kingdom. Now, a lot of Muslims uh, historians have seemed to have turned a blind eye, whether it's an eye of ignorance to this or they're just unaware. They think that the Arabian diaspora was the Jazirat al-Arab, the Arabian Peninsula, which is what, you know, the, the, today predominantly Saudi and the small Gulf states. That's not true. The main Arabs were actually in the Middle East. They weren't in the Arabian Peninsula. The main Arabs today, historically, uh, the vast majority of the Arabs, like we're talking probably, you know, maybe 80%, 85% of all Arabs lived in the Middle East, not in the Arabian Peninsula. So they lived in places like Jordan, Iraq, Levant, these kind of regions historically, and most of them were Christian. And they were affiliates of the Byzantine kind of dynasty. And the others like the Manadhira and the Bani Lacham and these tribes, their capital was Hira, and they were... On, as protectorates of the Sassanid Empire. And this is where the main poets of uh, pre-Islamic Arabs came from, like Nabigha, Dhubiani, and all these great Al-A'asha and Labid, and all these people lived up there in Iraq. They didn't live in the Arabian Peninsula. So when Islam spread there, there was this Abrahamization that took place that a lot of people started to to in order to forge greater bonds between themselves and the other Arabs they did I feel forged a lot of stories to do with Ibrahim salam being the great ancestor of the Arabs I'm not so sure Ibrahim salam is the great ancestor of the Arabs maybe Ibrahim salam whether he had some input or not um you know it's difficult to say because if you think about it the quran speaks much about ibrahim it does ibrahim is is uh you know mentioned time and time again in the quran um yet never in the quran does allah say that ibrahim is the father of the arabs never says that and Ibrahim salam is never mentioned as you in the Quran as you are the father of the Arabs. Or Ismail is the father of the Arabs. It's never mentioned in the Quran. But yet later on, this becomes the, the dominant belief. So whether maybe before some people did believe it, I feel that maybe Quraysh did believe it. 
But was it actually true is another story. So, so did the Prophet ﷺ go back through to uh, Ibrahim ﷺ and stuff like this? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, you see, it's because Ibrahim, because the Prophet himself in a hadith, when they took the Prophet's nasab to Adnan, who is still within the Arabs, the Prophet said, after that, they all lie. He said that in the Sahih Hadith. He said, He said, after Adnan, they all lie. Now, somebody could argue, yes, but in the other Hadith, he calls himself the son of Ismail. And he does, but did he mean the son as in I'm a prophetic son? Because I call to the same message that Ibrahim السلام, and he called to, or did he mean actual son? I guess we'll, I don't know. I'm just, I'm not convinced with all the Abrahamization. I do see that there was a lot of, <laughs> you know, Kutch, <laughs> there was quite a bit that they slightly, you know, people blagged quite a bit. Uh, and a good example of this is the story of Safa and Marwa. Safa and Marwa is definitely a made up story um, between, uh, to do with Hajar. And the proof for this is if you go to the Tafasir, uh, you see, you will see that the Sahaba from Medina, um, the Ansar, many of them said when they went to when they went on the Hajj, that we will not do the Safa and Marwa because it's a pagan tradition. And that's Tafsir Qurtubi brings it. Many of the Mufassirin bring it. That the uh, he, in fact Qurtubi says وَقَالَ بَعْضُ أَهْلِ الْعِلْمِ that some of the most knowledgeable people of the Ansar, the Sahaba, said that Safa and Marwa is a pagan tradition. It was to do with your two statues because it was basically there was these two, uh, this god and this goddess, this statue, who were a romantic couple. I've forgotten the, I mean, it will come to me. I'll, I'll check it up. The, the, uh, the woman goddess, her name was Naila. I remember that. And the guys, I've forgotten his name now. But the, these statues of Nailan and her lover were meant to represent certain icons, figures, that they loved each other, but they w had sexual intercourse or something in the haram, and they were turned into stone. So this is what the pagans believed. So this, them being on top of the separate mountains, they were separated, and they weren't allowed to, and that represented their struggle. They weren't allowed to kind of meet with each other. So this was why the Ansar from Medina said that that's a pagan tradition. It's got nothing to do with Islam. Why should we go between Safa and Marwa? And then Allah says in the Quran, you see, it's interesting because Allah says in the Quran that inna Safa wal Marwata min You see, Allah does not say about the story of Hajar. He could have, he could have said, he could have said, oh, yeah, but Hajar ran across this and, you know, yeah, she ran seven times and that's why I want you to do it. He said, Allah says that this is now, as in now in the Prophet's time, it is a symbol for the remembrance of Allah. And tatawwa here does not mean tanaffal, man tanaffala bihima, because the sa'i is not nafal, it's an obligation. Man hasibahuma ta'atan Bihima. Whosoever considers them to be a ta'a, whosoever does this considering it to be a worship 
to God. Then Allah is grateful for your gratitude. So this goes to show that Allah in the Quran, Safa and Marwa is mentioned, but there is no Hajar story. And it was the ideal place to mention it. So it's definitely it seems very plausible that the Hajar story was part of because that was the point to answer it, because the Ansar said it's a pagan thing. So Allah, that would have been the response to say, well, actually, what are you talking about? This is from Abraham. But Allah didn't say that. So it goes to it supports the idea that this was later an invented story to kind of support the Abrahamization, uh, to, to build bridges between the various Arab kingdoms. But I mean, I... Uh, yeah, so anyway, let's uh, move on from the right. So this is not to, and don't get freaked out by this stuff. This stuff isn't to, uh, you know, freak people out. This stuff is, look, so what? It's a symbol. If you do it today, as you did, as the prophet did it, he did it out of remembrance and dedication to Allah. So this is the thing, that the ritual was devoid of its pagan uh, origin. So it didn't carry that remembrance anymore. Because what, so in that case, what's the big deal now? Why, why get upset? I, I don't see this as a reason to get upset because I think that that's, it, in the time of the, when the Prophet was doing his Hajj, it didn't have those pagan things anymore to it. So the Prophet did it as a, you know, Nusukan Lillah. He did it like as an as an act of servitude to God. So, you know, so Allah, as he says, is grateful. Yeah. So this then opens uh, another interesting question about things like what about other practices when they no longer have the... This is why I've said things like Halloween are not haram. Because look, these things have lost their pagan origin. And... If you look at it, a lot of the Islamic thing had pagan origins. They didn't like Arafah. Where the hell do you think Arafah came from? You know, like, like think about it. In the Quran, Allah says, وَلِلَّهِ عَلَى النَّاسِ حِجُّ الْبَيْتِ The Hajj is to the Kaaba. But Hajj is Arafah. It's not the Kaaba. So Hajj, you can miss the Kaaba and still have Hajj, but you can't miss Arafah and have Hajj. So Al-Hajju Arafah. So where did the standing at Arafah come from? It came from the, the custom that was already there. That the Arabs used to have the Mosums. They used to have the fears of trade. And each month it used to move around in a clockwise circle. And then at Zul they would get closer. Then for eight days it was in, uh, what is it? It was in Arafah. But that's where they, it was, that's where they used to, and then they would have a religious kind of standing. And, and the Quraysh wouldn't go there because the Quraysh used to, they were, normal people didn't used to, I mean, other Arabs, their Hajj was at Arafah and Quraysh was just with the Kaaba. And the Prophet kind of merged between the two, kind of thereby creating an equality amongst people. But I, you know, it's not something to get freaked out about. But otherwise, where did Arafah come from? You know, it didn't come from Abraham, alayhi salam. And it's, but these things are not a big deal. Like, I don't know why to some Muslims it scares them. But to me, it's liberating because it goes to show that, look, at the end of the day, the main thing was the connection with God. 
And the Prophet came and he did that. And he established that with people. And yes, he was within his environment, within his culture. And he those symbols were symbols that he used. He used, you know, he and there was origin to some of it. Like I do believe that the Kaaba, you know, and the story of Ibrahim alayhi salam originally building the Kaaba. So I do believe that. Now, so you know, there was origin to that, and then some of it he expanded upon. Anyway, so right now let's 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 take some other questions what else is going on somebody said about the stoning of the uh the stoning of the jamarat i don't know exactly what that is about i think in my perception i think that was about stoning the three main goddesses alat wal uzza wa manat um and it was denouncing them I think it was to do with that. And later on, it also got Abrahamized. So they turned it into the Abrahamization. And uh, of like this story of Ibrahim salam was walking along there and then he threw stones and threw stones, threw stones. I think it probably was more likely than the, the prophet pelting what may have been idols there. And that's, the kind of uh, reality that's what i think anyway um ye zat tamasha ban chuki hai duniya ke mele se thak chuki hai what's that aag ho to jalne mein der kitni lagti hai barf ke bigalne mein der kitni lagti hai that's the thing. There's a, it's an amazing poem. What was Chahe koi jesa bhi hum safar ho sadiyon se Rasta badalne mein der kitni lagti hai Allah, Allah You know, no matter how long one has been a companion in life To change his or her direction how long does it actually take chahe koi jaisa bhi hum safar ho sadiyon se rasta badalne mein der kitni lagti hai how long does it actually take in changing um it's amazing that's i believe of farat Farhat Abbas Umar bar ke rishte bhi pal mein toot jate hain That lifelong relationships can break in a snap Umar bar ke rishte bhi pal mein toot jate hain Soch ke badalne mein der kitni lagti hai You know, it, that how long does it actually take for 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 an idea for a mindset to just change now people they they ah allah allah so what is going on what's somebody saying i don't know some people on here Right. 
Are Ahlul Kitab our brothers in faith or are they polytheists? No, they are our, our brothers and sisters, our brethren in faith. They are from the Abrahamic tradition. Right, what's your view on uh, Ibn Sina? I think Ibn Sina was a great thinker. We need uh, many more thinkers in this world who are, you know, one thing we lack in Islam from within like not within Islam as the religion, but within Muslim tradition, as in Muslims. Uh, I feel that one thing we have seriously lacked has been a like critical thought. Like we don't actually have a tradition of critical thought. We've had some critical thinking and even then it's always been very uh, criticized, very condemned, very, um, you know, so we don't really have things like that. And it's a shame. I feel that a critical evaluation of our tradition is so needed. Mufti um, Saab, you must write on archaeology and anthropology of Islam. Oh, I wish I could. <laughs> Nobody reads. <laughs> this is why we've, we've got to do <laughs> lives. <laughs> you know, <laughs> people still read in this day and age. <laughs> uh, somebody said, what time after the prophet did the Abrahamization begin in my understanding? I think it began with the early kind of conquests and thereafter. Maybe within, I think definitely within the first 100 years after the prophet, within that time. As the Arabs, as the companions and other Arabs moved north and started to mix with the Ghassanid kingdom and the uh, Lakhmid kingdom and things like that, I think they tried to build bridges and a lot of stories emerged at that time. What, uh, how do you feel about mathematical miracles in the Quran? I think these things are off. You know, they're fine if they, you know, on a subjective level. See, because to me, the Quran is dynamic. It is meant to have a dynamic nature to reflect the dynamic nature of human beings. So I might read a verse of the Quran and it might hit me in a certain way. You might read a verse of the Quran and it hits you in that way. I feel that this was, you know, if we want to use the word miracle, this was it of the Qur'an, that it was to have a very individual impact if, if it does. I'm not saying it has to have that individual impact, but it, this is the versatile nature, the dynamism within the verses of the Qur'an. So, you know, I, I, so I feel that there's nothing... Um, if a person himself read something and thought this is mathematically wow, then that's fine. And, and if he wants to share that, that's fine. But I wouldn't get carried away in saying that is proof that Islam is correct or that is. You see, like some people have said, for example, let's say, I don't know, Ha Meem. And now that this has been said, the letter Ha and Meem come in this surah so many times. Or some people have said that the amount of times uh, Allah mentioned believers, he mentioned disbelievers in the same number of time in this surah and this. And that is amazing. Like it sounds incredibly calculated. 
It sounds like above chance. But that said, if you start preaching this as your basis for the veracity and the veritability of Islam, as in this is what proves Islam to be valid, then people will just pick up a Harry Potter book and find the same thing and say, well, look, there you go. You know, so this, I don't agree with it being a universal or an objective miracle, but a subjective miracle, sure, if that makes sense. What is the positive case for Hadith to refute Quranists? You see, to me, the thing is this, that we know certain Hadith have carried truths. We know this. Uh, apart from just the the average likelihood, you know from other elements like today they could be so for example we've known something and today they found certain findings that have demonstrated that and it was also transmitted in the hadith so you know that ah okay uh you know so there was some there was um uh, it shows that some of these things they definitely have carried truths now one could say well okay that doesn't mean all hadith have to be true and i agree all hadith are not true but it shows that some are they have carried down truths so what i would do is say that well in that case you see so we go by the principle that it doesn't clash with reason you know it does not clash with the with reason it does not contradict the quran and it does not uproot an islamic principle and then the hadith is fine okay so that's my approach uh, somebody said yes like the great fire of medina hadith that was predicated yeah sure i mean things like like this or other things that you will find um Oh, Billy's in the house. All right, all right. <laughs> Leon. All right. What is it? Lion. That's what we're talking about. Sheikh Hamza Yusuf stated that early Muslims did pray through intercession, and was that was this the common and was this common and acceptable? Has this any validity? Right, okay, did early Muslims pray through intercession? What is, I'm not sure what exactly that means. How, like the the practical scenario of that. Does that mean like um, they would say, yeah, Allah, you know, for... I think, look, I think some intercession on this level is just human. Uh, in the sense, like, if you said things like, yeah, Allah, please do, you know, for the love... Like we say to people, like part of our language, you know, for... For the love of this, just do it. That kind of uh, thing, um, like, you know, people will say, oh, for the love of God, do this, or for the love of this, do So did people say an equivalent, like in their du'as, ya Allah, for the love of the Prophet, please do this. That kind of stuff, I think, yeah, they probably did, because that's just a very human kind of uh, trait, really. It's not something to uh, be so caught up about. Do I think <coughs> they used to come to the Prophet and say, Ya Rasulullah, give me this and do all this. If this is this what intercession means? I don't know what exactly it means. Uh, if this what is what it means, then no, I don't think they... I definitely 
still think they did stuff like that. Um, <laughs> Billy, your government name got exposed. Yes. <laughs> now you're on a watch list. Some Anissa says some Christians pray to Jesus. Yeah, because, you know, I feel this is my thoughts. Uh, I feel that one of the most difficult things for human beings is monotheism. I think we take it for granted because we think, oh, it's simple. Oh, just one God. Yeah, it's simple. You know, God who just created this. But it's actually very difficult because, you see, what happens is a God that's transcendent becomes an impersonal God. You see, it's difficult um, to kind of relate to or to build a a kind of relationship with a very transcendent God. Um, now, I feel that this was what the mission, the, the true mission of the Prophet وسلم, was to bridge between this personal and impersonal. Because people, they accepted God as the transcendent, but they needed personal gods. So they created these images and created things as personal. Um, so I feel that that was a great, that that was one of the greatest accomplishments and achievements of the Prophet ﷺ. And we're still struggling with it. We're still struggling with it. Was to kind of, to show to people that, you see, you see the transcendent as impersonal because he's transcendent. Allah, but Allah, laysa kamithlihi shay. You know, there's nothing. He's not like that. He's not like anything you can imagine. So I feel that that's, um, hmm, that's my way of looking at it. Nick, Zishan, Ahlan wa Sahlan, Ahlan wa Sahlan. Be khudi le gai kaha hamko dheer se hai intazar Allah. Allah, Allah, Allah. People, that is Mir Taqi Mir, the legend. In Urdu, he was called the god of Urdu poetry. Khudai Sukhan. Um, Frank the Ant said, I don't think he sees YouTube comments. Well, normally I don't, but today I seem to be seeing them. <laughs> you tend to explain many miracles scientifically, but how then can you explain what is written about Allah spoken, spoken what? Speaking about Jesus who revives the dead. Yeah, now I have explained in the past that, look, this thing about Ihya ul Mota, what did this mean? I've said that some scholars have taken that in a few different interpretations. They've said one interpretation is that it was it, that they weren't actually dead, dead in the sense that they were perceptibly dead. That was one kind of interpretation. Uh, which, to be fair, is well within reason. I mean, even up until a couple, you know, a hundred years ago or a couple of hundred years ago, this was actually quite a phenomenon that people would kind of get up after being dead. Another interpretation that several Mufassirin have given is that this was actually a metaphor. That it, that Jesus, he was speaking to the Jews that you had, because he was Jewish, that you have killed 
this message of God, that you've turned it into a corpse, that you, you know, this, this God gave you these, these commandments, God gave you this connection, and you've turned it into just mere rituals and, and kind of legalisms. And this is nothing but a corpse. And what Jesus did came to revive the dead. He said that, you know, that, that I've come to make for you that again, you know, good and halal and which you've kind of made forbidden, deprived yourselves of. You know, I'm only in reinforcing that which went before me. And I feel that this, I, I'm kind of inclined to that understanding um, but it may have been that it was a person who was perceptibly dead and that they could be that as well. Because it wasn't that, oh, Jesus was just going around bringing the dead back to life. Because what's the purpose of that? <laughs> and why didn't he bring other dead people back to life? <laughs> you know, whether it was Lazarus or, you know, the, the uh, one or two, the little girl or somebody said somebody, I think in one, there's a mention of another, but there's nothing else. Like, why not go and bring back everybody? You know, and so... In the New Testament, the New Testament was written at least 100 years after Jesus. You know, almost anything, at least 80 years to 100 years after Jesus. I mean, these are not the words of Jesus necessarily. These words are being taught by disciples of disciples of Jesus. That too in an age when a lot of politics have taken place as well. You have to remember that. I, so, you know, people and people sometimes use language that other people take literally. Ah, yeah. I'm I'm telling you that, look, um, it should be the very New Testament. <laughs> right, let me give you an example. There was a sheikh who, okay, I've, uh, <laughs> right, okay, uh, what the hell? <laughs> it's live and unrestricted. You know, I met this sheikh in, uh, in the UK. Well, <laughs> Sheikh Ahmed Darwish. Okay. Now, he disappeared after that, so I don't know where he is right now. But uh, but he came at one point many years ago, and he was going to set up in the UK, and he's a student of some of the Humaris. And he's also, like many sheikhs, they have like a peer following, you know, like Peer Saab. He's like a sheikh of a tariqah. He's got his own tariqah and his murids. And, and this is the problem with cults and acolytes. You see, because people now, this this sheikh himself, yeah, he told me, oh yeah, I used to, you know, when I was in Cairo, I used to kind of go to the libraries to lock myself there and I'd just study, study, you know, like this, 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 this. Do you know his murids, his murid, who said to me, and this is like an intelligent person, he said to me, yeah, you know, our sheikh, when he would be in Cairo University the books would talk to him like he would lock himself in this cupboard i'm uh, sorry not cupboard in this library and the books would talk to him and i said yeah yeah, yeah. and i thought he's just being creative with this <laughs> and he said no like like they'd really talk to him i said what do you mean like he would like start researching and 
the books are talking. They're like, no, no, no. When he says the books talk to him, he means literally speak to him. And these guys really believe this. Now, that sheikh had said to them that, oh, you know, when I'm, I, I kind of like to lock myself in this place and study and the books talk to me when I'm reading them. This was what he was talking about was if, unless he was totally in some other world, <laughs> he was just using meta, just literary speech. You know, if I say, you know, when I get into it, you know, this thing, this art, it talks to me. I don't mean it literally starts talking and it has speech and I start listening to it. And this is in our age. A person is hearing something directly from the mouth of somebody and he's trying to tell me that this is literal. Like a book, actually, that like this book is talking, not an audio book. <laughs> it's not audible. The book in the library is talking to him. And so this is the kind of naivety that we've got in in our, you know, in the 21st century. So when people took certain words of Jesus 100 years after him and represented them in a slightly different way, why are we so surprised? Por qué? <laughs> right, so... What is going on? Yusuf! Sheikh Yusuf is in the house. Ahlan wa sahlan, ahlan wa sahlan people. Right, that... Sheikh, do you believe the Quran did an angel fly down to give revelation, was it? You see, the when it comes to revelation, my understanding is that we just don't know how revelation works. We don't understand. Uh, I believe that all the imagery to do with revelation was simply just symbolism that was to make people have a frame of reference. Why? Because in, in the Hadith itself, the Prophet says, revelation is like a ringing in my ear, that's it. He says, like, sometimes I just hear this ringing like a, like a bell that's nonstop in my ear, and then it's revealed. That's what it is. And sometimes he said, I feel a kind of weight, and he's trying to explain an experiential phenomenon. And sometimes, so it's not this, but I suppose it's easy to tell as a narrative that, look, an angel comes, tells me, I learn. So did it have to be in this imagery? It didn't have to be. That could just be imagery, symbolic imagery to help people understand it. I mean, could it be literal? It could be, but I'm not saying it has to be. I'm not saying you have to believe in that literal imagery. Uh, although I do believe as a narrative, the imagery would actually fly. And other narratives wouldn't fly throughout history. So, yeah. Ilam Fakhruddin bin Rafidi. <laughs> Get out of here. That can't be your name. <laughs> oh, Shokat Waraj is in the house. Ahlan wa sahlan, ahlan wa sahlan. Right, so... Uh, what is about the hadith? Don't let someone eat your food unless is the hadith in Arabic. That don't let somebody eat your food unless he's a person of taqwa. You see, this does not mean, uh, the, you know, the, the brother asked that, oh, does this mean you're not allowed to eat with non-Muslims? People, taqwa is not a Muslim thing. 
Okay, we don't monopolize taqwa. Taqwa is that sense of that kind of sense of ethics, that sense of morality, that sense of consciousness to not want to wrong someone. Um, it's it's not a Muslim asset that has a stamp of Islam on it, full stop. So what when the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said, You see, there's a number of things going on here. The Prophet is encouraging people on certain what kind of company they should keep. He's at the same time, he's outcasting people who are committing certain crimes and certain things, perpetrations. He's outcasting them. He's telling people to distance themselves from people who are like that, that, you know, that are not of good character, that are not of... It, this does not mean that kufr does not equate to bad character. Okay, I think that is... Um, somebody said taqwa is only for the muttaqeen. Exactly. But it's who said it's for the... Who said muttaqeen equals mu'mineen? Who said that? You said it. Does Allah say that? Like, what I'm saying is, who are you or who am I to judge someone and the sense of one their connection with god even if they're not a muslim who are you or me to, to judge that and secondly secondly that just because people are not muslim but let's be honest you know we we assume that we make a simple reductionist equation all non-muslim equal kufar equal fujar equal fusaq equals this equals that why you know, I'm just, 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 let's just be real. Like, if we weren't Muslim today, would we convert to Islam? Ask yourself a very real question, would you? I don't think, I'm being honest, I, if I wasn't born Muslim, I, would I? I don't know. Now, it's a difficult question, but I, I think it would be very difficult <laughs> to embrace Islam. Just because of the institutionalization of Islam, the way people are presenting Islam, the way people are, they've kind of mutated Islam. The way it's become like by some people are like fascists. They want to just shove it down your throat and they want to control you. They want to use religion to control you. <laughs> yeah, we should be there. But with your logic, what was the benefit of being Muslim? And Allah says Islam is only acceptable. Yes, that is true. But look, Allah says that in the in the Islam, that the true deen is submission. Yes. Says this in a context to people who are mushrikeen and who are saying, well, it's difficult, we can't have an impersonal transcendent God. Now, to be fair, much of the world today is not like that. It does still exist, but it's a minority. And then Allah says that, look, I, like if it's up to Allah, he can do whatever he wants. You know, it is the aqidah of Ahlul Sunnah, Fakhruddin al-Razi, and all these scholars write that Allah wants everybody can can have salvation, Muslim or non-Muslim. Like, well, you know, <laughs> why are you finding it problematic? 
You know, it's not like it's not like the people who have salvation, you're going to have to pay for them. <laughs> you know, this is Allah Rahimin does as he pleases. Why? You know, you know, why? Why is it bothering you? This this dunya is for you. You worry yourself, concern yourself with yourself. Do you give primacy to reason over vis-a-vis, <laughs> rather, vis-a-vis revelation? I've said already that, you know, I've got a, a video on YouTube in much more detail answering this question, that it's actually a fallacy, really. Because, you see, this question, it's set up in such a way that it's it's... It's a kind of like an uphill struggle, the question is. The question needs to be reframed. Right? So the question really is that how does one understand revelation except through reason? How does one understand it except through reason? That That is the question. To say, you see, what you're doing is you're pitting someone, like you're pitting reason against the Quran. That's wrong. The Qur'an is in line with reason, but you, if you have reason, you will know that that interpretation would be wrong then. Allah would never ask you in the Qur'an to come to his message by using reason, and then when you come to it, it contradicts reason. <laughs> that would be just a ridiculous joke. It makes no sense. So this question is wrongly framed by dogmatists by people who either that you know they they, they 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 lack some kind of understanding in the real world or they're people who wish to exert control on others and wish to use religion to do so that's what i would say asrar rashid somebody said something about discussing with asrar rashid I would love to discuss with Asrar Ji, <laughs> Asadde, our lion, oh, lion of Ahl Sunnah. <laughs> Meow. <laughs> no, I, I love Asrar Rashid Sahib and the Rashidia. <laughs> you know, the, uh, maybe when I start my podcast, uh, he will p- partake in a discussion. But the problem, you know what it is? Sometimes I don't even blame Asrar, Sheikh Asrar. What it is, is he's got, he, he's got too much pressure from his following. And he's trying to please his following too much. He feels that, you know, he has to kind of like put the other person down. This is, uh, you know, like if Asrar, Sheikh Asrar was speaking to me, he'd feel that I know my, my following expects me to put him put him down and I have to put him down, or I have to try and take a dig at him, or I have to try and do this, I have to try and you know, and you think, well, you know, that that see, you need to grow up. <laughs> you know, the truth is, if you want to be a leader, and th- then these are followers. Let them follow you. <laughs> they shouldn't be dictating to you if you want to be a leader. So this is, uh, that said, you know, that reminds me, I read something by Sheikh Asrar, today actually I read it, 
All right, uh, my beloved <laughs> Janiman. <laughs> right, I read something by Sheikh Asrar today on voting, and I have to say, I totally agree with him on this point. Uh, he, Sheikh Asrar, was saying that look, because the elections are coming up, and he said that look. Muslim Muslims need to wise up when it comes to voting. Don't vote based on race, on ethnicity. Don't vote based on a headscarf. Don't vote based on a surname. Don't vote based on bradri and zat and you know all these kind of things that they're chodris or these people are this or these people. Don't vote based on this. Vote based on reason. And for once, I was like, wah. <laughs> I I knew there was the voice of reason somewhere inside. <laughs> but it, it is a true point. I I you know I uh, see. Look, I have no this. See, I'm quoting Sheikh Sarar, and I'm saying I, I commend him, and uh, you know I praise this thing that he said this because it's true that us people, you know, like Muslims in this country, especially the Pakistani community, they're like oh. Vote for this person, Chaudhary Saab, or vote for uh, such and such, uh, he's got a Muslim surname, or vote for, uh, you know, somebody with a headscarf. Or vote, why? Vote for somebody who's, gonna, who's good. And he made a point. He said most of these people can't even speak English, these counsellors. They speak like either but but English or they don't even speak English. <laughs> How are they going to represent you in Parliament? <laughs> There's that Tan Singh of, of, of what was his name? Yeah, the 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 Sikh politician who spoke out against Islamophobia and and just general discrimination. You know, hats off to him. You know, he, he did an excellent job, and and that was highlighted by Asrad as well. But everybody knows that it was a viral clip. So I I totally agree that look, this is a, a genuine point. Elections are coming up. I think people should vote. I'm obviously personally, obviously, I I think that definitely Tories is not the way to go. <laughs> but you know, the UK is just in a mess. Nobody knows what the hell to do with the Brexit situation. This is like one of those situations that they're like, hmm, you know, like they did it and nobody really thought it through. <laughs> That's like an ideal Muslim scenario, isn't it? <laughs> You know, it's like uh, they thought, I know, <laughs> I know, let's have a caliphate. <laughs> like, yeah, and then like, <laughs> what exactly is, the, is a caliphate? <laughs> this, now, then they're kind of stuck. So it's like these people vote, let's have Brexit. Yeah. Like, uh, okay, so how on earth do we do this? And it's impossible to, Brexit is like virtually, you know, with given the current scenario with the Irish backstop thing, it's impossible. It's just ridiculous. But now they've dragged it on so long that people are just fed up and want it over and done with. But there is no over and done with because you can't get it done. <laughs> Those of you that have seen that, uh, that, uh, that, uh, the editing clip of the House of Commons, where it's got that, you know, the that two but but the argument. I was going over the hill, right? And it's like, why? F you, you, F you, you, F you, you, me. 
Have you heard it? It's hilarious. And it actually looks like the politicians are actually swearing. <laughs> Such a funny clip. All right, people, let's move on. Let's take... Oh, Mazari is in the house. Mazari, our wasted, wasted talent. Hi, <laughs> Mazari. Uh, vote Labour. Yeah, I, I do support Corbyn, I won't lie. But I am a bit disappointed in... Corbyn not having not having been clear really. I felt that this country needed clarity, needed a leader to take charge, but he just wasn't. I felt he kind of fell a bit short. Right. So what's going on, Abdul Hussein G? Acha, I've seen it. Right. So you go to hill, yeah, and then you go down, yeah. <laughs> Why me? Peep peep peep. You peep peep peep. <laughs> It's a hilarious clip, people. You know what? Shall we take a look at uh, um, Sheikh Osama Kanan-G's uh, thing? Yeah, let's take a look at that, people. Let's take a look, you know. And let's just say it as it is. Huh? Allah, 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 Allah. Mutanabi said. He says that you know that this he speaks about abandonment is worse for him. That, that's in the beginning. You know what I'm going through. He says, I'm somebody who's who's drowned. You think I'm worried about getting wet? I am Mutanabi. Mutanabi <laughs> was good. You got to give it to his poetry. Right, so let's take a look at the masala, people. The masala. Mufti masala coming on, people. This is Ustad Osama Kanan. Right, people, click like, click share. Let's get this out there. Let's begin. Uh, <clears throat> quite. A, it's a serious topic as well, but let's jump right into it. Those of you that are familiar, <clears throat> Ustad or Sheikh Osama Kanan. An American Dawa uh, activist, and I mean, it doesn't need, really need to be introduced. Everybody knows the great work of Osama Kanan, and from the students of Sheikh Hamza Yusuf, and that kind of whole, you know, clique and that backdrop of Zaytuna and California and stuff like that. He's, I believe, the founder, the founder of that leaf. And he's definitely the face of Ta'lif, the organization, involved in a lot of prison da'wah work and that kind of stuff throughout his life. Right now, and for the last few years, he has suffered from ALS, a very debilitating kind of condition, and it's rendered him um, completely, uh, my understanding is, uh, debilitated in the sense he's on a wheelchair, he can't speak, he can't, I think, he, you know, needs help in almost most aspects of life. Now... There's a scandal that's been that surfaced recently. He that his own organization kind of shared a statement saying that they've conducted a review. <laughs> you know, it never Muslim organization saying we conducted a review is never it's never a good thing. <laughs> you know, it's like a cha 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 <laughs> and they said that we have found that Osama Kanan to have uh, been guilty 
of gross misconduct and blah, 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 blah. And they were very vague in the statement, not exposing what it was, but saying, hinting towards some kind of sexuality in there, sexual of a sexual nature and maybe something on finances or other thing and just being quite vague. That, so they didn't say he did A, B and C. They just said, oh, my God, he did these horrible, horrible things. Uh, and then what they did is just left it to everybody's imagination. <laughs> so then this has caught on like wildfire and it's gone everywhere. And so we're going to break it down. What the main thing is, right? Put the other things aside and, and I'll. I'll mention some of them as well, like as in like the 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 genres. But so th there's issues of alleged financial um, that maybe he took a certain amount of money during his work there that he wasn't entitled, whatever. But there's business roots for that, you know. I mean, there's sorry legal roots to take for that. So that's not what the big stir is about. The big stir is about he married several women. <laughs> so he married women and he divorced them so this secret marriages secret short-lived marriages uh that basically he was um you know if he got had an opportunity he took the opportunity this is what they're saying they haven't mentioned the numbers but i'm assuming that there may be a handful of cases this is what i'm assuming i don't know if there's more i've heard that is probably about four cases five cases something like this maybe there's some more i don't know so what had happened was uh sana saeed uh wrote uh, she's a journalist i think for al jazeera or something and she wrote an article saying you know these people men who hurt us and spiritual abuse and i'm taking like we need to take these men to task so i tweeted um i mean to her article i said look i'm calling uh this i'm calling uh bs on this whole spiritual abuse <laughs> right so this triggered a bit of a back and forth back and forth kind of thing now i want to say one thing from the offset i'm not about this isn't about trying to justify uh osama cannon's actions this isn't about that Okay, I, you know, I'm not here to justify if he has, you know, if he's been, quote unquote, like a jerk, they're saying to people, he may have. Most people have at some point in their lifetimes, you know, being like very rude or being inappropriate or being, you know, everybody has done this at some stage in their life in some scenario. I'm not saying he hasn't and I'm not about trying. That, that's not the purpose of my of this thing the purpose is that we've got this new kind of onslaught of the this rhetoric spiritual abuse what the hell is spiritual abuse so they're saying spiritual abuse is spiritual abuse because we need a definition people we need a definition so they're saying that this is acting in a way and it's really only to do with stuff like sex and marriages so and they'll say that this is a kind of like a, and some people have used the language sexual abuse now sexual abuse is very specific it is where you abuse someone sexually it is a crime and it is not this 
So, okay, what are they actually saying? What is this spiritual abuse? What they're saying is that because he's in a position of uh, leadership, that people come to him as an imam, he should he has an opportunity to charm many women. So he uses so he uses this this platform to charm them. And that is abuse. So you think, well, hmm, okay, is that is that abuse? Say, so, yeah, 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 yeah. Because if he just charmed them at a bus stop, then that wouldn't be the same. Now that wouldn't be abuse. But if he charmed them because he's a figure, then it's abuse because he's got this, he's it's a it's a it's a it's not a it's a vertical relationship. Ah, right, okay. So I want to kind of put a pause on that because what they're trying to say is this is immoral, that these women are somehow vulnerable. Now, my point has been that, look, listen, if he's grabbed a woman, dragged her wrong, utterly, if he's raped a woman, wrong, utterly, if he's forced a woman, pulled her into some kind of utterly... No, 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 this is none of these things. They're saying that the women cannot resist the charm. <laughs> so the, the, the argument is that these women are so vulnerable. So I want to ask that, look, how can you cut it both ways? How can you say... Look, I just want to be honest. Let's just be honest. If a sheikh is calling you to a hotel room at 2 a.m. in the morning, I'm not saying he did this, but if he is, if a scholar is, you know, he's he's not calling you there to read Sahih al-Bukhari. <laughs> you know, he's Bukhar maybe, you know, <laughs> in the Arabic sense, steam. <laughs> he goes, Chacha Bukhari, nay, nay, ham Bukhar kehete. <laughs> I was saying Bukhar, you misunderstood it as Bukhari. He's not calling you to his room to go over, you know, I don't know, Tafsir ibn Kathir. If he's calling you to his bedroom, what do you think he's calling you there for? Don't act stupid. Like, don't say, oh, but, you know, because I thought, you know, you, like, the truth is that these are choices. Now, what people are doing is they're modeling this based on they're modeling this based on a corporate environment so in a corporate environment when you're working like you come to work now there is something they there is an element of there can be an element of abuse exploitation so for example i pay you to come here do a particular job now let's say i pay you to do some administrative tasks now i start saying to you hey can you go get me a cup of tea hey go run to the shop and get this for me hey go do this for me hey god and i'm exploiting you because i know you're subordinate to me and you know you can't just walk out without losing the job and in some places they could even sue you because you're in a contract you're in a legally binding structure so you can't just leave it and you didn't sign up to this you didn't sign up to, you know, like me telling you to do this or telling you to do that or even putting up with my certain kind of like, let's say I start taking the mick out of you. I start like cussing you or, or being very sarcastic and you don't like that. It's bullying. 
Now, in a corporate sense, that makes clear sense because you are bound to be there during these hours, let's say nine to five. Now, but you've signed up for something and you're getting this kind of treatment. Or you're getting sexual kind of harassment or you're getting something and you don't like that. OK, that makes clear sense. You see, people are trying to impose that paradigm on religion, but it doesn't really work that way because nobody is nobody is forcing you to be there. You are under no obligation to be there. You have no, you know, no, you know, if you go into a masjid and the imam is a jerk, so to speak, let's say, don't go to that masjid. Why, you know, bar bar, why? You know, you keep going there and then you're like, oh, but this guy is so, I don't get it. What? Why are you going? But this is the, and then they say, yeah, but you see, they will find naive people. And, uh, and, and I want to ask that, look, the same people, let's take a classical fic example, people. In classical fic, there was the argument that, Women, this is like a thousand years ago, women are capable of, you know, doing their own affairs. They're capable of everything, trade, everything, except marriage or sexual affairs. Why? They said because men will take advantage of them. So after a thousand years of fighting that and saying that, no, we're not naive. You know, we can handle just like every other affair. We can handle our sexual affairs as well. We can, uh, you know, we can <clears throat> we can kind of like, you know, we don't need a man to arrange because the classical fix said that they need a wali, a male to arrange their marital affairs. So we don't need that. We can do it ourselves. And I have supported that. I have said that I feel women don't need a wali. I have argued for these positions. Right. So. Then after that, these some of these same women will say, oh, but, you know, oh, he took advantage of me because I was so naive. And you say, well, OK, I want to ask something. Imagine Osama Cannon had said to you, instead of saying, oh, why don't you come to my hotel room? He had said, not that he said, that, i got to stop saying that example because <laughs> he, he, he didn't say that. But instead of him saying, oh, why don't you have a relationship with me? Well, in, imagine it said, oh, can you bring me $20,000 tomorrow? Most of these women would be like, no, we're not stupid. <laughs> Acha, cha, cha. So you're only stupid in this. Like, people will say, yes, but, you know, oh, you know, we're drawn to, we can't resist this guy's charm. Don't get me wrong, Osama Cannon, back then, you know, may Allah have you know, grant ease to him and his family is suffering incredibly right now because of his health conditions. He was a very good looking, very charming, very charismatic. You know, he was a stud imam. Like, let's let's just be honest. I mean, I'm, it makes sense all these women were attracted to him. You know, that's not the point is that if they had a bit of a vibe and he said to them, like, I want to make something clear. If Osama Cannon had said to them, that, look, I will marry you and I will run away from my wife and my family and I will do this. And from tomorrow, if you marry me from tomorrow, I will do this and we will have this house. And here it is. I'm just waiting for you to just say yes. And then she said yes. And he said, OK. And then the next day he said, ha ha ha, get lost. 
<laughs> that is clear deception. That is categorically wrong, unacceptable. And they are absolutely right. He just lied out of his teeth. But most cases were not like that. Most cases, I'm, no, not most his cases, most cases in general are never like that. They're about like things like persuasion or things like dynamic, like in the sense that a guy would say, oh, you know, oh, you know, we've got a really good vibe and energy. And oh, you know, maybe, oh, maybe, you know, I think it'd be good if we got together. Now, you've got an aql. You know, the guy's married. You know, you're happy for him to, let's say, you know, have his wife, not tell her. And come with you and have sex. You're happy for him to do that. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> no guy's going to object to that. <laughs> but the point is, you're happy for that. But then you can't take the fact that he would do the same to you. Because the point here is rejection. He later on probably rejected this. You know, he probably called it off after a while. And they're like, oh, my God. Now, because you called it off, it's abuse. Why is it? See, the problem is we have a generation or a, a wave, not a generation, but a wave of thought of certain people that feel self-entitled. That they feel that if I like the world owes me something. The world don't owe you, Jack. You know what? Look, don't get me wrong. I'm sorry and I don't agree. I I would I want to put first of all, let's put a pause on that. Pause pause. I want to say I personally from you can check my YouTube videos. I have been saying from the offset. I completely disagree and condemn people using religion to get stuff. Okay. I've never supported that. Using religion to get money, using religion to get power, using religion to get women, using religion. This kind of stuff to me is blasphemous personally to Allah and his messenger. Like you don't need like, look, you can just interact with per a person as a human being. You know, there's plenty of if it's women, there's plenty of women. If it's money, there's plenty of opportunities. You don't need to use Allah and his messenger to do that. That said, that said, put that. So I, I'm being very clear. I've never, ever been in support of things like that. And I've condemned. This is what I've said openly. Look, if people wanted to do muta, I've said, I don't believe muta is haram. People have said openly, oh, they wanted the mixing, you know, of genders or people meeting outside. And I've said openly, these things are not haram. Look, live your life. Be true to yourself. Yeah. This kind of thing I'm saying from the offset. But if you go to, to somebody to have a relationship and it doesn't work out, most relationships, when they end, we need to understand this, people. Nine out of ten probably relationships, when they end, one of the two couple will always feel some hurt. That's just the nature of relationships. Okay. Right. Now, that is the, the nature of it because there will be a sense of rejection. So now when you get like if a woman calls it off, I mean, in a minority of cases, maybe both couple are sensible like that. Sorry, this is even if they're sensible, maybe in a minority of cases, nobody feels hurt. But in the majority of cases, when 
a relationship ends, one person will feel some hurt. They may be very civil about it, they may be amicable, but they will feel some hurt. It's natural. We're human beings, we're creatures at the end of the day. You know, people will feel that. Now, just because I feel hurt, like let's say I feel hurt now as a person. Now, because I feel hurt and I feel wronged, I make an assumption that wronged is wrong. Now, that's not necessarily true. That because I've been that I feel wronged, it must be a wrong. That is not true. You see, if you don't want, like, let's say somebody doesn't want to be my friend, and I say, let's dumb the example down, and I say, oh, but come on, be my friend, be my, let's go to, the, I don't want to bloody hang out with you, I don't want to be your friend, you bloody, you know, you nerd, or you, I don't want to be your, now I'm going to feel hurt, naturally, but that's not abuse, you know, that's not like, I can't say, oh, you know what, you abused me by not being my friend, that's just ridiculous. Now, in a relationship, I agree. I've said from the beginning that, look, when people, I prefer personally that people would actually do muta than do these nikah bin niyat talaq that, you know, they marry somebody and they divorce them later on, because in a muta at least they both just on the same page. They know that, look, listen, we just like each other. We're going to have a go at this, but we know this is going to be short-lived. Nobody, you know, it mitigates the sense of hurt. But the truth is that, look, if a guy has done that, right, yes, he did it. Let's say he did it once. And now the community know that like some people know that, oh, he's got a wife and he, he married this girl and he left her. Now, why are you going to marry him? You know, why are you going like, well, haven't you got a brain? And you're like, well, you know, oh, but I but I was naive, but I was vulnerable. Yeah, but. What, what do you want a medal for being stupid like what, what i don't understand like okay i could feel sorry for you but that's like oh i'm sorry i just buy everything every salesman gives to me oh but oh right okay you see this is this fallacy of entitlement that people feel they feel entitled like they feel that the world owes me something the world don't owe you jack it's a cruel world out there it's a doggy dog world like, what, what are you surprised that people, you know, that, oh, but why would he want, why would he be looking out for sex opportunities? Well, why wouldn't he? I'm just saying, why wouldn't he? He's a man, isn't he? Like, you, let's be honest, every single human being in this dunya is just seeking out their own interest. Let's just be honest about that. You know, we don't like to say it, but it's the truth. Right. So, you know, somebody said, look, are you OK with your someone doing muta with your daughter? <laughs> you know, this see, this is the kind of mentality of human beings that, that we're kind of dealing with within the Muslim community. Apart from the fact that my daughter is like only eight years old and five. And that's completely ridiculous. But as, as a, if they grew when they grown up, I would I would like to believe that they would have enough reason to take their own choices in life and be responsible and they would they would choose responsibly i would hope that i can give them that upbringing i would hope that they don't get duped into but if they choose to have a relationship with someone as as they grow up that's their choice i would respect it 
You know, like at the end of the day, why are you a control freak over people? You know, why are you like, I'm not saying you need to do these things, but some people are okay doing these things. Like, that's their choice. It's their life. Why are you judging them? You know, it's not like, and this is stupid. Like, look, I might say, oh, yeah, I don't like this. Fine. Somebody say, look, I don't like mutaw. Never do mutaw. Don't. But what, what? You know, why are you judging other people? That's the issue. Now, my point here is, first of all, Osama Kanan was not doing Muta because he, as far as I'm aware, he doesn't believe Muta is permissible. He was doing Nikab in Niyat Talaq. He was doing Nikab, but then later on, he was just doing a Talaq. According to the majority of the Sunni tradition, that is fine. I don't see what the, like, from a religious viewpoint, we could say, yes, I could say that, you know, I don't like that. I don't like that a person, let's say, because I don't like the fact that, oh, look, this guy, you know, if he gets an opportunity, he'll sleep with this woman and he'll sleep with that woman and he'll sleep with that woman. And, you know, you may not like that. And that's understandable. I'm with you. But then at the end of the day, you have to hold the, the women accountable as well. You know, why are they so easily saying, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And then saying, oh, but we're abused. You're not abused. You just made a choice. And you just, you know, not look. Rejection equals hurt. Not all hurt equals abuse. That's the that's the difference. And I think that needs to be really we need to be clear on this point because look, I I want to touch up on this accountability. People say, look, we need to hold them to account. Why? Because he's an imam. Okay. I want to ask something. What we're saying is that this person has motives. He's motivated by self-interest but isn't every human being why are we surprised that men are after sex i mean at the end of the day our brain is wired that way men you know they, they, their brain is more wired than the female brain to sex generally speaking from a scientific perspective you know all the androgen receptors and things like this why are we so surprised that people are wired for you know people have agreed for they have agreed for power for money wouldn't you want to wouldn't you want to earn more money as a person oh you greedy individual well why like you know at the end of the day we're all like that everybody's doing yes it doesn't mean you wrong people along the way i agree with that but it, it takes two to tango here i'm not trying to say look i accept that i'm not trying to justify what osama Kanan did you know having these marriages i don't believe it was haram he didn't do anything haram by the Sunni tradition. So, you know, Ibn Abdul Bar writes clearly the majority of ulama, he says the Jamura Ahl Sunnah consider this to be halal. The Sahaba used to do all these people. Used to do. I'm not saying it should be done, though. But if you agree to it as a woman and then you feel hurt when he rejects you, that's not nice. Obviously, <laughs> not nice, but it doesn't mean it's abuse. You know, you can't just yell abuse on everything. Some people were even calling it sexual abuse, which is the connotation of rape. And it's nothing like that. And why are you making these allegations? And then the other thing is this, that this is what I do. Why are you bringing this out now when the guy's like literally, you know, may Allah make things easy on him and his family. He's dying in a helpless, you know, I mean, we're all ultimately kind of dying. But I mean, in you know, he's absolutely debilitated in a wheelchair. He can't take care of himself he can't even speak anymore how dare you i mean there's you know there's some things like values 
for God's sake. You know, some kind of principles that a human being has. He didn't drag you and pull you into a bedroom, for God's sake. You willfully chose to be in a relationship with him. And then he chose somebody other than you. But why are you surprised? You were happy for him to choose you as opposed to his wife. You know, you're happy for him to, let's say, cheat, if that's the word you want to use, on his wife to go with you. But then you're not happy when he decides to choose another woman over you. And I'm not justifying his actions, but I'm trying to say, look, if you had beef with this, fine, voice it. You could voice it at the time. But is this really the time? There's a time and place for things. You know, the guy is debilitated. He can't even speak for God's sake. You know, and they bring this up and his own organization. Why? Just so they can carry on taking money and donations from people after he passes away. So they say we took him to account. Tell me, does everybody that's doing this? And this is what I wanted to say about accountability. Wallahi, I will accept accountability. If we have meta accountability, if we have meta accountability, because only Allah's accountability is just, human beings are driven by self-interests. These people who are holding to him to account, do they not have a personal angle on this? Then how is that fair? You know, you're judging his motives. Why can't we judge your motives? Ta'lif that are holding him. He was goddamn Ta'lif. I mean, I don't know a single person in Ta'lif other than him. You know, and he, I couldn't name anyone. I just knew, you know, Ustaz Osama Kanan. And that organization wants to carry on receiving money after he passes away. So, that, so they're throwing him under the bus. In, you know, in such a stage, in a state of helplessness. Wallahi, one of the worst emotions. May Allah alleviate anybody and everybody from that suffering to be in a state of helplessness is the worst you know like they speak the studies done on people that were condemned and in condemned cells before they went to execution the the two weeks before for example that state of helplessness that you can't do anything you're just there waiting a burden uh, you know it's you know and 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 what they do is they take out their claws in this stage to attack a guy for their own interest, not for justice. This is not for justice. I want to make that clear. This is not for justice. This lady, uh, look, I don't know this lady, Sana Saeed, but let's just be honest. I read her article. Yeah. This thing, her saying, oh, I knew Osama uh, Kanan personally. I used to go to his circle for many years. I used to go for this. I used to go for this. I used to go for this. He did this. We have the right to hold him to account. I want to ask, what's your angle on this? Could it be, let's be honest, could it be that you were rejected by him or you never felt pretty enough to be selected by him? Could it be? Why not? Am I, why, is it wrong to judge when you're judging his motives? Is it just so you, 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 you get a more, uh, you know, you, you can gain traction on the back of this scandal? Are you just being an opportunist? and seeking somebody's wounds uh, just so you can get more traction and gain a promotion in your career? Or is it, this is the same lady who attacked Sheikh Hamza Yusuf, and she said, 
uh, when Sheikh Hamza Yusuf, the recent kind of scandal, and she said like, oh, in a personal story, I once, I don't know, she went up to Hamza Yusuf and apparently Hamza Yusuf raised his voice out or something or something like that. And she's still suffering from the trauma. Acha. So you're still suffering from the trauma. So is this revenge on Sheikh Hamza Yusuf and all the people around him? You're picking them off one by one. I mean, what's your angle? For, for the love of God, don't say justice. It is nothing to do with justice. You know, this is the thing that annoys me. You know, I, That this is how fate has dictated the laws of time. That the calamity of a people will be an opportunity for another people. That this, you know, this is why I call BS on this spiritual abuse thing. Don't be so naive. Don't be, and if you are naive, I'm sorry to hear that you got duped. But what do you want a medal? Why do you think the world owes you anything? Why do you feel so entitled? It's a cruel dog eat dog world. You know, it's survival of the fittest. If you're so stupid that every time some guy sells you something, you keep buying it. Or every time somebody says, hey, get into my bed, you jump into bed with them. I mean, فَلَا يَلُومُنَّ إِلَّا nafsa. You know, that person can only blame themselves. I mean, what, what, what? I'm not saying that I wish, we all wish that the world, we all wish that the world would not have such people. But the world is full of these people because it is the creature instinct people. This, you know, and I, and I saw something that uh, this one lady had said on social media i'd rather he he gets his punishment in this dunya than in the akhirah wallahi that statement it set me on fire people honestly <laughs> there is this is the goddamn problem with some people of religion they look at this look at the cruelness the cruelty of that lady saying that she said i would rather he gets his suffering in this dunya who the hell are you who made you god you know that i'd rather he gets his suffering in this dunya this is the mentality this is how isis goddamn justify this stuff oh it's better that you get it in this dunya Honestly, this and look, some people brought up that he and this is another difficult question. Some people brought up things like, oh, there was domestic violence with his wife in the past and things like this. And he was, look, I don't know that I've heard that there were these kind of issues. But my see, this is a difficult question because, look, a question and, and I want to put this to you people that uh, where do we draw the line in a private life? Like these people argue that no, if you're a public figure, you have no right to a private life. Why not? That the public has a right to know anything about you. Why? Like, so look, domestic violence is utterly wrong. I absolutely condemn it. Look, but there's a question here. If I don't know. I heard that his wife did not press charges and they were not these, you know, where, look, I don't know if they have reconciled.
does it give people the right to expose this in public? And where do you draw the line? If a person, for example, has a gambling habit, let's just say, because what are we drawing the line with? Is it like, for example, legalities? We're saying, well, if it was illegal, we have the right to expose it. So because he did domestic violence with his wife and although she, you know, settled with it later on and reconciled, but still because it was illegal, we must expose it. So in that case, if he had a gambling habit or he drinks alcohol, that's not illegal. So, OK, no, not then. Or is it a moral thing? Because he's doing something immoral, we have the right to expose it. Like people have a right to know that he does immoral things. Who doesn't do immoral things? Who doesn't? I want to ask that question. And where do you draw the line with this immorality? You know, and who has a right? To, it means the whole world has a right to know. Is that what we mean? That like some guy sitting in Lahore right now, somebody sitting in Mumbai has a right to know what somebody sitting in California is doing at home in his bedroom. But just because he's a public figure, is that is this a right? Is this what like a, a, a an undisputed right? Is that what it is? Where do we draw this goddamn line? Like, how do we? And I, 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 I utter, absolutely do not believe people have a right. I know people will always leak these things. They will always expose people. They will always do these things because there's self-interest. But I don't believe people have a right. Because where would you draw that? That is a question. If he smokes weed, if, if a person smokes weed, if a person watches pornography, somebody could say, well, he's not harming someone. He's on, you know, it's something he's doing. Is this a right? And that, <laughs> that's probably most of all, <laughs> all the men in that category. Is that a right? That the world has a right to know that he watches these things. If he, you know, if he masturbates because you might believe that's immoral, is that a right that the world has to know that this person does that? Is what, 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 where do we get this impositionist, fascist kind of impositionism from? And so this is the thing. This is, but it, it, is a, it is a shame, the whole thing. And what hurt me was the fact that, one, I don't like this, this whole spiritual abuse thing. Two, uh, right, somebody said no line exists with child abuse. You know, I, I would agree with that, but I would agree with that, right, so that no line exists with, with child abuse. But I would believe that's a matter of legality. And that person needs to be taken to task from a legal perspective. But the issue is about a private life. Like the question would be that if they like we because these people feel a lot of these journalists feel that you don't if you're a public figure, you don't have a right to a private life. The public have a right to know everything that you're doing that they deem immoral. And that's like, well, you know, this is not the Islam of the Quran wa Sunnah people. You know, this is not that Islam. Wallahi, if you anything from the seerah of the Prophet it was never about stuff like exposing. It was never about if anything, there's the ahadith about look, if people have done sulah, you know, do satar, satar, barda, do like like cover it if you can. 
that turn, you know, like if it or take them to task on a legal perspective for accountability, but not about public entertainment, because this is just about entertainment. That's all. Because let's face it, we as human beings love gossip. We love it. It is the argument, one of the arguments why language was invented, just to gossip. And I just felt that, look, at this stage, when this person is in such a, you know, weak, debilitated position in his final stages, you know, may Allah make things easy for him, for his family, that people are bringing out something that is old. They're bringing out something about, oh, he married these women and divorced them. Oh, he married them and he divorced them. And oh, the women, some of them may have been converts, but so they were so naive and so vulnerable. And any woman who enters a marriage is always so vulnerable. And, and you think, look, first of all, don't pick on this gender war, you know, kind of uh, uh, backdrop, you know, pitting men against women. Why, why do we need to pit men against women like this thing? Like, it's not, you know, this is, this is another thing which I totally can't stand. Like, why? The world is a better place when men and women cooperate. They coexist in reality, not just, and in, that they, they have this, this understanding that it is the world and it is them. It is not them against each other. You know, this is another thing. People present that all throughout history. Men have oppressed women. No, they haven't. Men and women have just been oppressed by other people. That's the truth. It's, it's not, you know, men were not oppressed. Everybody was just being oppressed. And so, uh, yeah, so this is why I have problems with this stuff. And I'll say it as I feel it. I don't care. People think, look, oh, you know, you, you know, no, you should. This is not politically correct to say that. I don't give a damn. The point is that, look, this, it takes two to tango. They need to own up to their own responsibility of the end. If they claim naivety, then they should have had a willy. Go with the classical thick opinion. You know, why are you acting so like, oh, like go with, put a man in charge. If you feel that you can't handle any marital affairs because men are so always more powerful when it comes to uh, sex matters, then put a man in the middle. <laughs> Not literally, that would be quite a uh, intriguing scenario. <laughs> but my point is that, look, or just just handle it and accept that, you know, where things go wrong, they go wrong. But then don't do this later on. For Don't do an expose for money. Don't do an expose for compensation when, when a man is, you know, like on his dying deathbed. Have some respect for the guy. And the guy at the end of the day served a community. You know, this is this is another thing that really, you know, he did he did good. You know, he, especially the work I heard about his prison work. I heard he did wonders in the prison thing. And I don't even know too much about it. I just know the brief things that I've come across. And I've been like, wow. And once again, it's not to cover up his actions. He may have been an absolute, you know, like an, a jerk or whatever they're saying to these some of these women. He may have had bad akhlaq. He may have. I don't know him like that. But even if he did, you know, say it then, not now when when he's in this state and you're just making his family suffer. But yeah, people, I'm sorry I had to kind of go on about that, but I, I felt that it needed to be said. And this is another thing. I think there needs to be a space where these conversations need to be had. OK, so um, this is part of the reason I'm going to be doing my podcast, hopefully by the end of this year, it's beginning. 
guys uh i'm gonna wrap this up inshallah much love as always for <laughs> for hacking it right till the end <laughs> all right you know how it is people right so as always remember me in your kind du'as in the words of mir taqi mir where he says ab to jate hain but kade se mir that now let us go from this house of idols ab to jate hain but kade se mir phir milenge ghar khuda laya that if god wills we'll come back another day <laughs> take very good care of yourselves man much love stay blessed stay smiling people wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi ta'ala wa barakatuh